good morning, everybody. Yeah. For the benefit of any visitors, I'm uh, not sure I can see visitors, but anyway, or anyone listening to a recording, then I'll just quickly introduce myself. Yes, I'm Mark. I'm married to the lovely Deb, as you've heard, and I am one of the elders that oversees NLCC across our various locations. And we're currently working through a preaching series about being devoted disciples. And it is our sincere hope as a leadership team that as we go through this series together, that we're going to be equipped, not just as individual believers, exploring what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, but as communities, journeying together as a family. And our hope is that as we kind of dig deep, we're going to get our roots down and we're going to be able to stand firm when the inevitable storms of life come our way. Uh, we, we know what storms look like, don't we? I mean, perhaps you've seen the footage on the news reports of the aftermath this week of Storm Babette. And uh, sadly, at least seven people appear to have lost their lives. It may be at Scrone. Uh, and countless homes have been damaged by flooding. Farmers seriously concerned that their crops are going to be lost through rotting. Uh, and whilst we've not had it quite that badly down where we are, we, we've, we've seen some pretty wild weather this week, haven't we? Strong winds, torrential rain. Isn't that a picture of what our lives can look like sometimes? And how are we going to stand up against that kind of battering? And that's what we're exploring together as we deep dive into what it means to be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, today's theme is devoted to relationship. We're going to be jumping around the Bible a little bit again, so... If you're somebody that likes to take notes, I'd encourage you to at least make a note of the Bible references so that you can look at them again a bit more in your own time. So let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that this is life for us. This is truth. This is bread for us. And Lord, as we look at your word now, give me words to speak and give us all hearts to understand and ears to hear minds to apply what you want to say to your children this morning. We thank you that you've been speaking to us already. Father, keep speaking to us through your word, we pray, by your spirit and in Jesus' name. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the apostle Luke writes about how Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, gets up and he boldly shares the gospel of Jesus. And the result is about 3,000 people became Christians that day. I mean, that must have been some kind of message, don't you think? What's interesting to me is that these guys weren't just saved, but they were added into the community of believers. And Luke tells us what that looked like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And that's long been a, a favorite verse for Deb and I, and one that we're really passionate about. We, we had a biggish kind of A3 poster made of it, and we used to take that away with us, and we would put it up in the church marquee when we all went together to West Point before it moved, moved and became Commission Festival. And, and in this verse, Luke records four things four things that these early converts to Christianity gave themselves devotedly to. And one of those things was fellowship. 
the early Christians were committed to relationship. So I guess if you wanted a, one verse, if you wanted just one verse that you could hang today's messages on, that certainly would be one that I would consider. But I, I want to go back further. I want to go right back to the start. Because I want us to see that the foundation of relationship, I want, to see, I want us to see that it starts with God. And that he's always existed in relationship. So here's how our Bible starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2. And when the Apostle John writes his gospel account, the language he uses is remarkably similar. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. What I want us to notice here is that God has always existed in relationship, in community. He's one God, but three persons. It's, it's kind of hard to get your head around, isn't it? But here we have it in black and white. In these creation narratives, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they're all mentioned here. They're all there, they're all involved. Each member of the Godhead or the Trinity, they're present and involved in bringing all things into existence. It, it kind of blinds, blows your mind, doesn't it? But, but there it is. And then a few verses later in Genesis chapter 1, this is verse 26, then God said, let us, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may ro rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So even though God existed in community, he created mankind to be his image bearers in the creation. He says this is very good. It's the pinnacle of all that he's made. And Adam and Eve were given a special stewardship responsibility over the creation in their roles as God's image bearers. And they enjoyed this amazing relationship with their creator. And of course, that got marred when they, through giving into their temptation, they, when they disobeyed him. The, the point is this. God didn't need relationship. He already existed in relationship, in community. However, the greatest expression of his creativity, the great joy and the great delight and everything that came with that seems to have been focused on those he created to bear his likeness, to bear his image. And the rest of history is about is the story of how God has worked to heal the relationship that was broken at the fall and heal everything that was broken as a consequence. 
Now, the Old Testament tells the story of how God chose a people for himself to be a blessing to the nations, which I, I guess, in a way, was a partial restoration of the destiny of being image bearers. But the people he chose, the nation of Israel, kept on being unfaithful in that relationship. And therefore, they, they failed to completely take hold of that destiny. So before time even began, God existed in perfect relationship. The Father existing with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, this perfect relationship, the three persons of the Godhead banged together, banged together in perfect love. It's a kind of a beautiful image, even if it's kind of hard to understand. And mankind was meant to be the bearers of that beautiful image. But because Adam gave into temptation, sin entered the world, and that amazing friendship, that amazing relationship that Adam enjoyed with God in the garden, that got ruined. And every person that has lived since was born into sin. And that's a major barrier for our relationship with God. And God is perfect, but we are not. And we're simply incapable of living in a way that is acceptable to him. So, God stepped in, literally. He took on human flesh. We're going to celebrate this soon, right? Yeah. He walked upon the earth he created as the God-man, Jesus. This Jesus died on a cross. He bore the penalty for the sins that alienate us from God. And then later, he was raised from the dead to demonstrate his power over even death. The final barrier between us and our creator. So what, why did he do that? Why did Jesus die in our place? It's because he longs to have a relationship with us. So he did away with the things that get in the way of that that get in the way of us having a relationship with the one who made us. Those things being sin and death. So we can be restored into a relationship with our creator. And all we have to do is believe in the one that he sent. So it's all about relationship. I, I guess in a nutshell, that, that's what I'm wanting to say this morning. God is all about relationship. And we, brothers and sisters, were made for relationship. Now, I, I guess most of us, if, if not indeed all of us, have, have heard of John Wesley. He was a theologian and he was an evangelist and a leader of the Methodist revival movement. And he's quoted as having said this, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. So what Wesley's saying there, that is, Normal Christianity, normal Christianity is worked out within the context of community. Now, it's perfectly possible to live out a solitary life and love Jesus, where being part of a Christian community, for whatever reason, is, is hard, maybe even impossible. There are all kinds of reasons why that might be. For example, someone might come to faith whilst they're in prison, or in some parts of the world, people go to prison precisely because they came to faith. And being part of a community is just 
not an option in, in those circumstances. So I'm not saying it's not possible. I, I'm just saying that it's not the norm to live out solitary Christian life. The Bible seems to teach us that meeting together as a family, as a community, is an essential part of what it means to be a devoted disciple of Jesus. Now, there, there are all kinds of temptations to do other things than to meet together. But I doubt whatever those reasons that we might come up with, they wouldn't be anything like the reasons that the first century Christians might have had. Because most of the early Christians were Jewish converts. And they experienced significant persecution. Their services were constantly under threat. Some had had property taken away from them. And their, en their enemies were apparently making hags-to-hag -hags searches in the hope that they might find a whole group of Christians and they can just do like a job lot and arrest the whole lot. So they probably had more reason than most not to meet together. And into that context, the writer to the Hebrews gives this encouragement. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. That's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Now, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but the Greek word that is translated one another here is the Greek word aleloni. And I did a little bit of diving into this, and I learned that the Greek word is used in this way. It's not the only way that this word is used, but in this way, in terms of one anothering, there are 76 appearances of it in the New Testament. 76 times one anothering is mentioned. That's a whole lot of one anothering, don't you think? And what comes out of this one anothering? Well, we, we spur one another on, just think about that word spur for a moment. In other words, that means we provoke each other. That means one of the benefits that I get from being a part of this family is that you might, might tell me some things about myself that I don't really want to hear, but I need to hear. And I need to hear it so that I can grow into all that God wants me to be. Another benefit, we need to keep on meeting together so that we can encourage each other, like God has been doing amongst us this morning. And I just want to pause there, because I know that if I'm not careful, I can water that down, what it means to encourage. Encourage. Just think about this word for a minute. Encourage. It means to give courage. To give heart. In other words, because the word courage comes from the word heart, and those of you who know your languages will recognize the sim similarity of courage to the French word for heart, which is cur. That means that when we are in danger of losing heart, we might need a brother or sister to come alongside us and give us some heart. Does that make sense? And the things... The things that we are being spurred on towards, provoked towards, and given courage for are love and good deeds. 
according to the writer in Hebrews. So do you see this missionary focus here? When we come together, when we spur each other on, when we encourage each other, what we're doing is we're building each other up to do the stuff that we do the rest of the week, whatever that might look in your context or my context. So when we meet together, when we come together, the expectation of the Bible is that we're being equipped to being the best parent we could be, to be the best neighbor that we can be, the best work colleague that we can be, to be Christ's ambassador or his image bearer in whatever your little piece of the world looks like. Because let's be honest, not everyone he brings across our path is easy to love. Or is it just me? Mm, clearly not just me then. Uh, and we don't always feel like doing them good, do we? That's why we need his help. And one of the amazing things is that he chooses to use our brothers and sisters to equip us for that. Isn't that amazing? Now, you'll probably be quite relieved to know that I haven't got time this morning to go through the, all the other of those 76 instances of one anothering. But I do want to turn to one more example. This time it's from the Apostle Paul and his letter to the Colossians. So this is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And this is a really interesting verse. I mean, I guess it's kind of obvious when we come together that one of the things that we would expect is that we'd sit under the Word of God. That's, I, I, for most of us, that's a given, right? And indeed, we do place a high value on the teaching of the Bible, the message of Christ. But what might not be quite so obvious, but Paul seems to value just as highly, is the urging and the warning, and, and that's what admonishing simply means, urging and warning, and the teaching that comes through our corporate and spirit-led worship. Can you see that? And I see two strands to this thread. But firstly, there's a, a teaching that comes through our worship and through the lyrics that we sing. And that's why our wonderful worship team, by the way, guys, you served us so well this morning. But this is, this is why, from this teaching element, this is why they are so carefully curating the songs that we sing. And I remember that when Deb and I were leading a youth group back in our previous church, we were convinced that our teenagers were learning far more theology from the songs that they were singing than from reading their Bibles. So that's one kind of teaching that happens as we worship together. But there's a different type of wisdom. There's a different type of admonishing that comes from our corporate worship. And praise Jesus, we've experienced that this morning. We've experienced that this morning. When we come together, when we sing songs of praise, and when we sing songs of gratitude to God with thankful hearts, there's this expectation that God might want to speak to us through the prophetic. I'm so passionate about this that I would encourage you, wherever practical, to worship whenever we come together, even if it isn't sung or just spoken out. 
in our home groups, in our prayer meetings, even if it's just two or three of us gathering for coffee. Maybe I'm unbiased because I have a background in leading worship. But it, it does look scriptural, doesn't it? What I'm saying. We want to be a people of the word and of the spirit, don't we? So you don't need to involve musical instruments. It's great if, if you've got them, it's great. But it, it, you don't need to. It doesn't even need to necessarily involve singing. I can think of some, you know, some situations that probably wouldn't be appropriate if you're meeting in like Luna Coffee or something. And then you just, I mean, they might think it's like a flash mob or something, but it may not be appropriate. But it might just be as simple as speaking out praise, as speaking out thanksgiving. Because who knows what God might do in that. He might, he might want to speak to you in that situation, just like he's been speaking to us this morning. But I do think that our life groups are a great place to step out in these things, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and they're also a wonderful place to practice one another in. So if you are not connected into a life group, I, I really want to encourage you to, to get connected into one. Even if, if it's not practical to get out, we do have one that meets online. So whatever your context is, I just encourage you, get connected. Now, I'm going to begin to draw this to a, to a close, but before I do that, I want to make f one final observation about one anothering, and specifically about loving one another. Because according to the Apostle John, the way that we relate to one another demonstrates to the world that we are disciples of Jesus. So in John chapter 13 and verse 35, we read this. By this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Put simply, I, I think what this means is that disciples of Jesus should do relationships differently to the world. So in the New Testament, there are whole passages on how, for example, Christian husbands should relate to their wives, vice versa, and how employers and employees should relate to one another as new creations, that kind of thing. There's a way that we relate to one another. There's a way that we love each other, that proclaims and that demonstrates and that models or images the way that Jesus loves us. Because in the verse that preceded verse 35, Jesus says this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must want love one another. So can I suggest to you that part of the way that we take up our calling to be image bearers of God is that we model or that we image something of Christ's love for us in the way that we love each other as a body. Appreciate that we're not yet the finished article. We are not yet all that we shall become by his power and grace. But we're moving towards it. And I just want to share with you one way I've experienced this at work. So for much of my working life, I've worked in Christchurch or Bournemouth, uh, and whilst that's great, and I, I did build up some really good friendships and relationships there, there was always a part of me that wanted to work in a town 
where the church I'm part of actually serves. So you can imagine my excitement then when a little over a year ago, I was offered the opportunity to work not only in Fordingbridge, but also occasionally in Dangton. That's two of the communities that we serve. So if you didn't know, I'm a dispensing optician. I'm mostly based in Fordingbridge. And one of the favorite things about that is that I get from time to time people from the church popping in or banging on the windows or waving enthusiastically. And, and I get most weeks to spend at least one, one lunch hour with some of the other elders. And just occasionally, one of the church will come in for an eye examination. And for a while, we had a, a, a young receptionist. And to be honest, she was going through a, a little bit of a difficult season in her life. But on more, more than one occasion, more than one occasion, she commented on the way that people from the church would relate, not just to me. I mean, that did speak volumes, the way they would embrace me as, as they came in and stuff like that. But also the way that they related to her as well. It demonstrated something of the love of Christ to her. So I want to commend those guys to you. And I want to say that what she was commenting on was the love of Christ out, o- overflowing, outworking in those brothers and sisters and overflowing towards her. And, and while she would have probably never have articulated it that way, nevertheless, that spoke volumes to her. Now, our passage in Hebrews urges us to encourage each other all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. Because there's a day coming when every eye shall see, when every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. And the writer to the Hebrews expresses a degree of urgency, which in his commentary, Raymond Brown picks up on. He says, when the day is here, rather than near, we should all wish that we'd done more. Now, I'm not sure I'd have put it that way, but I do think he's right. So I just want to summarize before I kind of move on to a few prayer points. And because I like a little bit of alliteration, who doesn't like alliteration? I got four Fs for you this morning. So we've looked at the foundation of relationship. It started with God, even before he made anything or anyone. He existed in perfect community and love as one God, but in three persons. We consider the relationship between man and God and how it became fractured by sin and how it could only be fixed through faith in Jesus. Ooh, that's an extra F there. And the fruit of relationship within the new family that God has given us is not only that we get to partner with God and equip each other for the work to which Jesus has called us, but also by imitating Jesus, albeit imperfectly, in loving each other with the love that he has given us, we, again, albeit imperfectly, we claim back something of our destiny as his image bears. Now, there are some specific groups of people I feel, led that I, want, I feel led to call forward for prayer. But before I do that, I'm just going to kind of throw out a bit of a challenge there, because I, I felt this challenge, and I know that this is just as much for me as it is for anybody. 
but I just, I just kind of felt God would want me to throw this out there. Do you know how Christ feels about his church? Do you know how Jesus feels about his church? See, Jesus has got a habit of calling things as they will be, as though they already are. Do you remember how he called Peter the rock, even before Peter denied him three times? But he said, this is the rock I'm going to build my church on. But it hadn't happened yet. But Jesus sees the church as she, as she will be. He calls her his beautiful, radiant bride. I find that challenging. But we, but we can see the church as she will be, imperfect as she might look right now, as that we can see her as the radiant bride of Christ. But it means looking not with our eyes, or not in our natural eyes, but with eyes of faith. Eyes that look beyond what we see in the here and now, but look to forward. Eyes that look towards the sure and certain promises of God that are ours in Jesus Christ. So the church, she's not perfect. How could she be? How could the church be perfect yet when she's made up of imperfect people like you and, and me? But God has not finished with us yet. Brothers and sisters, take heart. God has not finished with us yet. We are works in progress. But one day, one day, that day, he's coming back. And when, when he comes back, when we see him, his promise to us, we shall be like him. And the bride, the bride will be radiant to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. So maybe you want to respond to some of the things that God has been saying to us as we worshipped earlier. Can I get the band back? Would that be okay? Because there are a couple of people, there are a couple of people groups that I, I, would, I feel really led to pray for this morning. So if there's anyone listening to a recording, I think most of us here, I, I, I don't know all of us, but I, you know, I, I'm pretty confident most of us here are Christians. But if there's someone here or, or listening to a recording that doesn't yet know this relationship with Jesus, but you kind of feel something stirring within you, if you're listening to a recording, I, I really want to urge you to get in, in touch with us through the NLCC website or through whatever medium that you're listening to this through. But maybe, maybe there's one or more people that, well, you, you just struggle with relationships in general. Perhaps that's a trust issue. There's some relationship breakdown in your past that means that you find it hard to trust anybody. If that's you, I would love to pray with you. And for all of us, we are all broken people because of the fall. But Jesus is in the process of restoration. Amen. So as the, as the band leads us in some worship, let's just come to him. Let's ask him by his Holy Spirit to fix our brokenness and, and be able to love well, to love our neighbors, to love our colleagues, to, to love our difficult family members. We need his help to do that, don't we, brothers and sisters? Shall we stand? Shall we respond to Almighty God?